0: Turnover by Kapilov. Nashville's got it with Mukhtar! He scores! Liftoff in Nashville. Edge of the 18, a step over. Oh, what a
1: goal! Honey Mukhtar! Doubles Nashville's lead! It's Mukhtar who steps forward. Mukhtar!
0: Welcome to the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in the respective disciplines, but only once seen a 5-1 result before this past weekend. Tim, of course, that was Nashville and Swope Park Rangers, now known as Sporting KC2. I'm Nashville SC radio analyst Wes Bowling.
1: And I am Tim Sullivan, and I was covering that game, uh, the 5-1 victory over the now SKC2
0: uh, because I've been covering National SC on the internet longer than anyone at clubcountryusa.com. Special thanks to Moon Taxi for the music and ESPN 94.9 for the highlight montage of Honey Mukhtar's hat trick. More on that in a minute. Back to that Swope Park game. It was Daniel Rios with a brace in that mm-hmm. game. I believe I used a pun on Rios's last name in my play-by-play call of that and said that Daniel Rios's river of goals continues to <laughs> rampage. Uh, I'll let it slide this time, Wes.
2: You always (laughs) say that,
0: and then I keep coming back, and you keep letting it slide. Uh, Listen, I'm a a very forgiving podcast co-host, I guess. And you're (laughs) known to bust out a few dad jokes. You're the Alistair Johnson of dad jokes. You produce a lot, (laughs) but you're pretty underrated in the genre. (laughs) Well, history for Nashville, misery, Tim, for Chicago. A record-setting night capped a five-match homestand with an exclamation point, the 5-1 win that surely injects the club with confidence heading into a busy week against Ohio teams. Yeah,
1: and I've received unconfirmed reports that indicate winning by four goals is, and I quote
0: from these reports, good do you have multiple sources on that or just one?
1: I'm, I'm still trying to source it. That's why they're unconfirmed.
0: So okay. Far. Yeah. Once you get that, let me know <laughs> if that stands. I'm interested to hear. Um, and maybe some of those sources are the same folks behind the scenes in Atlanta talking about no water breaks and all kinds of I, I
1: feel like the people behind the scenes in Atlanta maybe might not understand that.
0: That's <laughs> true. Winning by four goals hasn't happened in ATL in, uh, in quite a while. Uh, in that 5-1 win over Chicago, Nashville set records for goals scored, Margin of victory and goals from an individual player after the fastest hat trick in MLS history. Three tallies in just the first 16 minutes, Tim, from Honey Mukhtar. Yeah, from
1: the opening whistle of the 16th minute, Nashville SC may well have been the only team on the field. So some are probably going to criticize that they played against a 10-man Chicago team as an excuse for why the margin of victory was the way it was. But Nashville was up 3-0 before the 10-man situation became relevant for Chicago. A red card to Johan Kapelhoff is not why the Fire lost the game. They were down effectively 3-0 at the time that he was sent off the pitch. And it was not behind the majority
0: of NSC's output either. You could use 10-man Chicago as an excuse. You could use playing 11-man Chicago as an excuse if you wanted. (laughs) A team that has leaked a lot of goals this season and yet... I'm with you. It was a sterling performance from the, the bad giveaway that Nashville converted in the 10th minute all the way through. It was, it was rather dominant with a couple of, of small exceptions once the game was, was purely academic. And you'll notice we gave you the biggest statistical nuggets from the game right off the bat because you've probably heard them before. First hat trick, the, or the fastest hat trick, the highest scoring game, the, the biggest margin of victory. Those things you know in our early shout in our honey dipped gold nuggets. We will get into some deeper details and and numbers behind the performance and and go a little more into what exactly Hani Mukhtar and this attack have accomplished on the homestand. And we'll also, of course, dig a little deeper into that historic Saturday night. And then, Tim, we were able to have a conversation with uh, a rising voice in Major League Soccer analysis. Jordan Angeli just gave us some great insight about Columbus, but she also really studies the league and had some great things to say about nashville and about cincinnati so both of nashville's upcoming opponents really i i think if you'll agree that that was a tremendous conversation people are going to enjoy
1: yeah absolutely there's very few people who pay as much attention to every single team in the league as jordan and her co-host joe lowry do on the mls assist podcast and we are very happy to get insight from somebody who probably knows not only the entire league but she knows
0: columbus better than basically anybody in the mailbag, let's get into Hani Mukhtar's motives. Could it be that Akeloba's emergence is putting pressure on Hani? Is that why he performs so well? Is there more to it? The adjustment Akeloba is facing as the Nashville did not see its club record signing in its first match with him available. He was not in the 20-man roster. Mm-hmm. When will he be a part of things? And and you know the adjustment that that he's undergoing and that others going into MLS uh, have to endure. And then who could be the first player out the door? From Nashville for a profit is there anybody that is sellable at this point or at some point in the near future great mailbag questions as always and then finally outside in so much to discuss uh, Walker Zerman injury in the gold cup how serious is it we're still learning that but what impact could that have on Nashville SC Gabrielle Heinze out in Atlanta since he stumbles in a big way more on that in a minute but first let's go ahead and embark on our early shout Nashville going to go over the top towards Sapong again. Oh, what a sweet first touch that is! Pillow footed touch sends it right side for Layal. Layal off the post rebound. Sepong tap in. This
2: is a rout.
0: A goal scored by C.J. Sapong against his old team, the second time he's victimized a former employer this season. After he opened the scoring against Philadelphia a couple of matches ago. And just thanks of course to ESPN 949 for that highlight. But the story of the night, a hat trick from Hani Mukhtar, the first in Nashville SC history and the fastest in MLS history, just sixteen minutes, that's all it took. Here's what Hani and Gary Smith said about that performance after the match. That's part of
1: my job. I, I always want to score, and um in the in the, in that moment I'm not thinking about okay, I scored already one goal or two goals. That's 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 not in my head. If I have a chance, I I, I just want to score and um I am this type of number number 10. I
0: like to score and um, I like to help this way the team. Of course I can give assist but um I am I'm a very attacking uh, midfield player. I would I would describe it like that.
2: He's been extremely bright along with the other two lads up front. They've really given us purpose and you know a a, a buzz about our front line that I think when you're at home, you desperately need, of course. We're going to run into some games away from home now that, that will present different challenges. But, you know, as part of that attacking group, he has been a real catalyst, um, not just obviously for his, his own gain, but for others as well. And, and I couldn't be more delighted for him.
0: Tim, we've known what Mukhtar is capable of accomplishing. He scored a brace against Houston last season, led the team coming into the weekend with four goals. But even for him, this was on another level.
1: Yeah, certainly. And, you know, some of the criticisms of him have at times been over the top. There's also a a grain of truth to a lot of those. In some ways, his reputation is kind of a victim of his own talent. He looks really good on the pitch a lot of the time, but the final piece doesn't always come off, whether that's a turnover, a slight bobble here, errant pass there. Yes. That happens to everybody, and his numbers are now catching up with passing the eyeball test. And if he continues to have those numbers match up with what it looks like on the pitch, he's going to
0: start getting some real buzz around the league. (laughs) So are Nashville's numbers, by the way, uh, catching up to the chances they've created. we talked all season, really, about the XG deficit that they've faced. And Hani Mukhtar almost single-handedly made up for that in one night. Uh, I don't think they're quite there yet, but but they're getting Mm -hmm. closer. Seven goals for Mukhtar this season. That makes 12 in his Nashville career. So he's now scored more goals in the first 12 matches he's played this year than he did in 18 games last season. Tim, this was a player who... Even just earlier this year was kind of on the fringe of the starting 11. He was absent for a bit. Gary Smith changed the formation to a 442 that wasn't always the most accommodating for Hani's skills. And yet right now, not only has he worked his way back into the picture, but it's hard to imagine this group without his distribution and especially his finishing.
1: Yeah, I, I can imagine it, but in my imagination, I, I don't see a version of this team being nearly as effective without its German DP. And you mentioned those, those formation changes, and Gary was trying to find ways to get him on the field, but also get him on the field in ways that made him comfortable. And uh, while I don't know if this kind of three four three hybrid system that we've seen in the past few games is going to be a permanent thing, Gary even mentioned after the game that it's probably kind of more of a situational deal, it does help Hani find success
0: while not having that pure number 10 on the pitch. And even if there will be changes to that formation, especially to accommodate Ake Loba coming in, yeah, you would think that Hani is a player right now that you build around Mm -hmm. rather than discarding if he's not a fit for what you're looking to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are going to find ways to get Hani and Loba clicking together if they can. And that's the goal right now. And getting Hani going before Loba is even available is a good way
0: to start that. Well, this week's Gold Nuggets are, of course, a Honey Mukhtar edition, and you've likely heard the basics elsewhere. You've heard them here. Honey Mukhtar scoring the first hat trick in Nashville SC, club history, USL, or MLS, also the fastest in MLS history, just 16 minutes into the match. I think it's the third time we've said it on this show already, so we promise not to say it again. But here's mm-hmm. one that folks, we? well, I will promise, <laughs> and I will also probably fail, over-under of saying it 0.5 now. It is 50-50. But... With that information out there, and already said three times, and maybe a third and a half year here later, here's one that folks may not know. In the last two matches, Hani has actually put more shots on target than Nashville's opponents. And it's not the first time he pulled it off this year. He also did it against Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, he's been highly effective this year. And I'll go ahead and and break your promise right here already. It was the quickest from the opening whistle to the third goal in the 16th minute. Yes, as you've already said, um, the one that he eclipsed was Bradley Wright Phillips from New York Red Bulls doing it in 2016. Took him until the 27th minute. So it's officially the second fastest from goal one to goal three. Harut Karapetyan did it in five minutes for LA Galaxy back in 1998. But I think I'm going to become a truther on this. I'm going to hunt down the footage from that game <laughs> because Hani's first goal, his minute 10 goal came at 957. If he'd just taken a couple more touches before finishing that first goal, he might be tied for the record officially right now anyway. I'm going to try to find a Time stamped Carpetian footage so I can see exactly how long it took him. Know if, if Hani's, um, you know, 529 seconds or whatever it was is, is actually
0: slightly faster. I'm,
1: I'm going to be a weird truther about this. <laughs>
0: this, this, is, this is what you built your uh, second <laughs> career on, really, is yeah. being the weird truther. I mean, yeah, why not? By the way, speaking of, of getting things accurate, um, just got to give you a peek behind the curtain here. Um, Tim wrote down that player's name, Harut Karpedian, and he did it in like broadcaster phonetical style, phonetic style. Like it's, it's, it's a, you, yeah, yeah, it's great. I had to do that on air Saturday night without the benefit of a pronunciation. <laughs> I, I think I, I, I just look based on what it looked like. I think I would have gotten it right, but I certainly didn't want to mess it up. I think you did better than I did. Hani's uh, seven goals lead Nashville SC. No surprise there. They rank third in Major League Soccer. Here's a fun comparison that I think many Nashville SC fans will relish. He's tallied 0.7 goals per start. That is almost equal to the goals per game scored by Inter Miami this season. 0.77. So put more simply, Honey Mukhtar is now two goals away from tying Miami for 2021. And then we could share eye-popping numbers all night, but... the more important question is how is this happening what is leading to his improved performance on the pitch he talked after the game about how much more comfortable he is in nashville
1: how much more comfortable he is in major league soccer and how much more comfortable he is in this team with these teammates and i think all three of those things are coming together and Allowing him to play his best game, he's better able to handle the physical nature after coming from a much more technical league in Denmark. He's happier in his overall situation from a personal and on chemistry or on-field chemistry perspective. to, to break it into the, a little bit more, less of the feelings ball and more of the actual nitty gritty here, he's actually touching the ball less than he did last year. He's getting 9.0% of Nashville's touches compared to about 10.0 last year. And he hasn't created as much danger for his teammates, which you kind of expect a number 10 to be more of a creator and distributor mm-hmm. than a finisher. But he's taking nearly four shots per 96 minutes played, which is kind of the the shorthand for a game here. After being under three shots per 96 minutes played last year and each shot that he takes is slightly more valuable. So when you kind of combine those two together, he's creating a lot more XG for himself than he was last year. And certainly some of that is just a system that fits his style of play more because Nashville is playing quite a bit more open soccer this year. And some of it is just a more confident player.
0: Can you explain a little bit more that last bit about the system that's fitting his style more? Because I think Gary Smith has called this formation they've run for the past three matches, the three, four, three, 3 In a lot of ways, though, it really looks more like a 3-5-2 on paper, right? With Renda Leal sitting centrally and kind Mm -hmm. of being the creator. And Mukhtar, he's not serving as much because he's the one being served in a lot of situations.
1: There are some slight intricacies and and tweaks to it game to game. I think against Philadelphia, it was basically a pure 3-5-2. The last couple games, it's been um, CJ Sapong still up top. But both Leal and Mukhtar are kind of sliding underneath and finding space where they need to find space. I think it is fair to say that he's played over pretty much this entire stretch, more like a striker than you would typically see him in any of Nashville's other formations, unless he's the second striker in, in top, up top in that 4-4-2. But it's a situation where, yes, he's starting closer to goal. He's getting fed opportunities. We saw his opening goal was basically he's standing at the top of the box. CJ Sapong gets the ball and passes it right to him. Easy bang, bang. He, he doesn't have to do a whole lot to get into position because he's already there. So I think that's a big part of, of what's allowing it. But the freedom that he does have, hasn't made him feel the pressure to become the distributor
0: that people might expect of him either and maybe i'm getting the the 352 note a little bit too from the average position map when i see that rendale is also tracking back probably a little bit more so his average Mm -hmm. position is going to be more depressed whereas obviously he also has the freedom to go up and and join the attack at a moment's notice. Same with Todd Ryan Anunga, by the way, who scored his first career MLS goal. A a banger from just outside the 18. Uh, Getting back to that Nashville attack, though, and and finishing our gold nuggets, um, Nashville wraps the homestand with 11 points out of 15, which was right around, I think, what we had both defined as a successful, a decent to good homestand. Uh, Just dropped two results out of five, and they doubled their opponents in total shots. Just straight up doubled them, 92 to 46. Here's one for you. Mukhtar, Sipong, and Leal combined to put more shots on target than Nashville's entire opponents in that five-game stretch. So, Tim, this attack is buzzing, but of course the big question everybody's asking as they look at four of the next five matches being away from Nissan Stadium is, how does that translate to the road? Yeah. It's not just the million dollar question because four out of the next five, the vast majority of,
1: of NSC's games for the rest of the year, they've played most of their home games already. So I think when you look at the the first three away games that they've played um NSC had more expected goals than the opponent in two of those three road games so far, that's a pretty good start, but I think they're going to play a different style when they hit the road as they often have. So it's about the quality of shots and actually getting the timely finish rather than the pure volume of shots that they get. And it's, been the time, timely finish that was kind of an issue earlier in the year. We're not seeing it quite as much lately. Obviously, there were still issues during the Atlanta game, but um, if you if you extrapolate the Chicago finishing performance, I think
0: Nashville fans will be very happy with the amount that their team is able to create because they'll be finishing more of them. Nashville heads on the road Wednesday night. If you happen to be listening to this before the Columbus match, then you're in luck because the analysis is going to be fantastic from Jordan Angeli here in just a minute. Nashville visited Columbus twice last year, a pair of 2-0 losses The two goals in extra time in the quarterfinals as Nashville dropped the result to the eventual MLS Cup champions. Columbus, six in the table, a couple points behind Nashville, so win would elevate them past the boys in gold. Tim, it's been a weird Columbus team this year. They only won one of their first five. They've only won one of their last five. And yet, like Nashville, they've specialized in securing draws and just racking up the one point, the one point, a good three pointer against New York City FC last weekend. Mm -hmm. And and those results have kept them right in the mix.
1: Yeah. And you you mentioned that both goals in the uh, Eastern Conference semifinal were in. Uh, extra time. The second goal in the regular season match also came in stoppage time, so Nashville's only only got scored on once within the 90 minutes by these guys last year, so it was a very, very close battle, but um, we'll talk about this with Jordan, Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, Caleb Porter's crew teams just have a way of of defying some of the stats and doing exactly what they need to get results and maybe not doing anything more than they need to get the results, Um, even if those aren't always wins. Um, They're staying in the mix on the table, and I think when you look at what Porter has been able to do, what the roster construction looks like you could fairly say it's one of the probably three or four archetypes for the type of club that Nashville wants to be in the long run obviously sporting Kansas City always gets a shout out in these sections Mm -hmm. but Seattle is probably one that also makes sense for that so when you see Nashville play against Columbus on this Wednesday it's going to be a game that probably sees NSC playing against what it sees as a future self I think
0: and sitting in the press box commentating on that match Jordan's going to be there And uh, she is the color analyst for Columbus on TV. You're going to really enjoy her analysis. Here is our discussion with Jordan Angeli. Jordan Angeli is one of the preeminent rising soccer voices in the United States. She's the analyst for Columbus Crew TV broadcasts and co-hosts MLS Assist, a podcast from The Athletic that breaks down tactics around the league. After a career at Santa Clara, Jordan played professionally in the NWSL and United Women's Soccer League and spent time with the U.S. Under-20 national team. Jordan, it is a pleasure to welcome somebody to the show that has such expertise about Columbus but also around Major League Soccer. Thanks for spending time with us today.
2: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: Columbus, in many ways, has been a, victim's a strong word, but a bit of a victim of its own success last year. It wins MLS Cup. Expectations are high, and it comes into this season and obviously has to deal very quickly with the squad rotation challenges that CCL presents. We've seen so many teams have have, a, have challenging times managing that. Results were a little bit slow in coming earlier in the season but now the attack really seems to be turning the corner a pair of goals in each of the last three games after starting as one of the lower scoring teams in major league soccer how has columbus played its way into the season and have there been tactical adjustments that have helped them shift the results here lately and climb back above the playoff line or has it just been guys getting arrested and having a chance to get used to the grind
2: Yeah, Wes, that's a good question. Something I think a lot of people are looking at Columbus, just trying to figure out what's happening this year. And I think every year we forget how difficult it is to one, be a reigning champion. You have the biggest target on your back saying, okay, we want to beat them. We want to prove that we can beat the best of the best. So they have that, but then also you come into preseason and it really sets you up into success early on. And They were dealing with injuries in preseason, one of them being Kevin Molino, Darlington Nagby started the season, not being able to play. And then right off the bat, it was Perry kitchen out like all these depth players that you bring in to allow you to have success in a tournament like CCL where, you know, you're going to be overloaded at the beginning of the season. Well, those depth pieces then, I mean, I know Nagby isn't a depth piece, but he was just in that (laughs) injury injury list on my, on my brain. Um, those pieces aren't allowing you to use and rotate the way that you would like to with the games coming thick and fast right at the beginning. So it was challenging. Then you add on top of that, those injuries lingered. And now you're trying to figure out um, there was, I think that the crew have played the same back line, maybe in two games, three games throughout this season. I have to double check that stat but they've had seven different players in the game against Cincinnati. Uh, The entire back line, except for Jonathan Mensah, was rotated at one point. These are connections, as you guys know well, in Nashville, uh, because you've had two solid center backs over the last year and a half, and now with some rotations due to Gold Cup. But those are important, and to have the cohesion and the chemistry and knowing where a player next to you likes to play, that was was difficult for the crew, and if you are not – um, working from that base of, okay, this is our lineup game in and game out, maybe with a few tweaks and adjustments. Um, they were constantly changing a lot of things as far as the lineup goes. And it's just hard to develop a chemistry and where is chemistry show up? It shows up in your defensive third and it shows up in your attacking third. And so I do think as, they came out of that break, the international break in June. You're seeing a team who feels like they've got some training under their belt. They've established a little bit more of those chemistry, the, the chemistry that they had um, as a unit off the field, but also getting that back on the field and getting some players back from injury. Um, but yeah, it's been a challenging first few months, but I think they're. you have to look and and say undefeated in the last eight games they've had a couple of very difficult draws they get the win over the weekend um, so some good results scattered in there as well maybe flying under the radar a tad bit
1: you know you mentioned a lot about that chemistry and i i don't know if this is where it comes from but columbus was last year's luckiest team i use the air quotes for all of our listeners who will not be able to see that um, in comparison to their expected goals versus the actual goals that they scored and allowed is that a chemistry factor? Is that, is there something inherent to Caleb Porter's system or is it a matter of maybe there is a, a slight step back if that, if that quote unquote luck stops showing up, or is it maybe just, you have Jesse's artist on one end and Eloy room on the other?
2: Yeah, that helps. Yeah, that helps. I think Jesse's artist probably has one of the best, if not the best, um, shots on goals to goal percentage. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't take wild shots. Like uh, over the weekend, Joe and I just talked about the Minnesota game and Minnesota mm-hmm. takes shots from wherever it doesn't matter if they go on frame or not, they are a team who's going to shoot. So that's probably going to show up more in expected goals because if you get a shot that's somewhat in the vicinity of the goal, well, that's a goal scoring opportunity. And maybe, maybe gives you a little bit higher there. The crew are pretty, um, stingy when it comes to how are they going to create an opportunity and can they, figure out a way to utilize the players in the attack to get them the best chance on goal. And so I do think that they they don't have as many shots typically as the other team. But when they get in goal scoring situations, it's typically a better looking shot opportunity, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And then, yeah, I mean, you guys watch, I don't know if you watched the game over the weekend, Ailer Room is just ridiculously mm-hmm, yeah. ridiculous. And um, even though he's not at the Gold Cup right now, like he is showing you why he's on this team, how he got here was the Gold Cup a couple of years ago. And right. he stood on his head. He was in beast mode. It was it was pretty cool to watch.
0: So many managers this year, they've, as they've dealt with rotation due to international break or CCL, have been forced to change formation, maybe tweak their systems a bit. We'll talk about in just a second how Nashville's done that. Uh, Crew, on the other hand, despite rotating so many bodies, pretty consistent with that 4-2-3-1 formation, is that the driving factor in Crew conceding the fewest goals in the Eastern Conference? Is it that even though they're rotating bodies and you mentioned the chemistry challenges that's naturally going to present, they're still Mm -hmm. getting those results because perhaps they know where they're going to fit within that system when they come in?
2: it's the culture that has been built within this squad with Caleb Porter, the coaching staff, the the leaders on this team. I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, culturally, you are going to build from the backup. You're going to be a possession oriented team. And there's a lot of focus on how you manage the game when even you don't have the ball. And so that, yeah, I do think that that has been built in within the squad Um, over the last few years under Caleb Porter, they've, and when you start to bring new pieces in and they have to play right away, I think it takes a little bit of that time of time to say, to get them up to speed and really cohesive within what this, the culture, I mean, the culture is there, right. But get them up to speed with, all right, now we're starting to gel. And when we can keep what we do well defensively and then move that up the field through possession. I mean, this team wants the ball. They want to possess, they want to make you defend, um, I think that that's what you're starting to see now. And it it might be coming at a really nice time of the year.
0: Our audience is well familiar with our take on Nashville, but it's always such a luxury to bring in such a a well-traveled and insightful soccer mind as yourself to, to look from the outside about what you're seeing from this Nashville team. You got to know Nashville pretty well last year and you're watching film pretty regularly on teams around the league. Tactically, what differences are you seeing from Nashville in year two versus year one of its expansion build?
2: Well, when you I talked a lot of last year about how you build a team and Joe and I really had a good compare and contrast with Inter Miami and Nashville SC. Mm -hmm. Nashville built it on defensive principles. This is how we're gonna defend. And they brought in a coach and Gary Smith, who that is what he's known for is not giving up a lot of goals. Maybe you're not gonna always score a lot of goals. But you're not going to give up goals. And I think when you build a team on that, it's a really good foundation to then add and sprinkle in other things. The difference I see, especially as of late, is a new formation and a, a new ability to utilize some of these players that you have, especially right now with Walker Zimmerman out. And who knows, you know, we hope, uh, me included, everybody hoping that he's okay and there's nothing serious coming from that game over the weekend with the U.S. men's national team that, Um, you know, that doesn't keep them out long-term, but I I like in ways the utilization of, you know, you have to work with what you are given. And we've seen that in Seattle this year. Now we see it in Nashville. If you have three solid defenders, three center back types, well, let's get them all in there and utilize who we might have on the wing. And um, I think that also does give a, a little bit more freedom into the way that you guys attack. And you're seeing that with some more goals, being scored up front.
1: Uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, you you and Joe had a long piece last year on MLS Assist. You are certainly not going <laughs> to remember it at this point, but it was about um, the importance of the way that that Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy especially kind of deny balls in the midfield and how they mm-hmm. uh, are a major piece of what Nashville is able to do defensively. Is that mostly down to the way that they're drilled, as you as you just mentioned, or is it or how much of that is, you know, as somebody who's who's played, unlike Wes and I, just looking at us, you can tell we didn't play at a high level. <laughs> but oh, <whatever. laughs> how much of how much of that is the is just like the innate characteristics of a guy like Dax or a guy like Ball versus, you know, kind of being well drilled in a system like Gary Smith likes to run.
2: Whenever Dax decides that he's done in this game, I hope that people remember how good he has always, always. been. Always, Dax McCarty, if he's on your team you are going to be a team that is constantly competing. And I think for him, yeah, and Godoy, like they're they're players who understand um, how to deny space, but also it's just, it's like basic principles of the game, right? Denying the space, but then also utilizing um, the way that the other team is defending and the way you move the ball in order to get yourself at times, you know, Dax doesn't go forward a whole ton, but when he does, he's typically in a space where he can, like he almost scored the other night. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was offside was offside. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but um, he was in a good, he was in a good scoring position. So he gets himself in really good places when he does go forward, but it's just understanding principles of the game. So I, I think that, yeah, they're drilled in that, but when you have two holding midfielders who can deny space in front of your back line. Well, it allows you to have freedom going forward. And that's why I do think that this four, excuse me, three, four, three is working Mm -hmm. because you have Dax in front of those three center backs. So he's denying maybe that passing lane into the front runner. But then if the ball does go into the front runner, one of those three center backs can step and you're still pretty covered by the other two. Um, But what's interesting, I think, is Randall Leal and Honey Mokhtar have been really good players right they've been good but right. in this three four three with the stability of your two holding midfielders and three players in behind i think it gives them more freedom to cross and and um it takes less it takes some pressure off the center forward to be a little bit more creative and allows the creativity to lie in the players who should be your most creative is Randall Leal and Honey Mokhtar. And we were saying that in, in the last couple of games, just it feels more fluid to me going forward, mm-hmm. just because of the stability that you have behind you with those three center backs and the two um, holding, holding midfielders.
0: It's interesting the dichotomy we're seeing because so many folks at the national level, I would not accuse you or, or Joe of this on MLS assist, but have, have labeled Nashville's a park, the bus club for the, You know, the the two years, year and a half of its history, I think hopefully Saturday's onslaught against Chicago made a convincing enough case to start changing some minds of those who think that this is a – you can call it defense first if you want, certainly when you talk about that stability. But it is interesting to me because as you increase the fluidity in the attack, you're also potentially creating some vulnerability along the back line, you know, even Mm -hmm. as Dax and Anibal are providing stability in in the heart of midfield. from, From your experience playing and analyzing the game, You know, how does a team like Nashville shore up its efforts along the back line, even as it maintains that focus on being bright and attacking? Is it a pendulum that's always going to be swinging or is there a happy medium Nashville can find where they're producing goals and they're getting forward, but they're still stable enough that they're not letting in goals like they happen here lately?
2: Yeah. Soccer is a funny game, right? There's some risk reward to it. We're seeing, Oh, you know, I would say new England revolution are the biggest risk reward team that we see in major league soccer right now. They go forward and they fly at you, but they give up goals. So you have to just decide at what point, um, do you want to win games two to one? You know, is that what you're willing to you're willing to give up a goal a game in order to get forward and have fluidity and, um, show a little bit more creativity going forward. I don't think that's an awful game plan, um, but I think it it probably feels a little weird to to Nashville people because that's not what you guys were built on. You were built, and this is why you said Joe and I don't look at you guys as a park the bus, because you were, and that was the foundation you were built on. And then you started to sprinkle in some things that allowed you to look like a good attacking team. And now I think that because that foundation has been built, you can switch formations and um, yeah, there's always going to be mistakes that are made, right? You could drill and do everything perfectly and uh, tell everybody how to run a formation the best they can. But then at the end of the day, they're humans and they might step when they need to drop. And um, you know, that's why hopefully the, the 10 players. That are out there, plus the goalkeeper can hopefully mitigate that and cover each other. Dax McCarty being a good one. If a center back steps, he knows how to fill into the back line and become stability for a team. So um, I think it's like a risk reward. And I wouldn't be too upset about taking some risks right now.
1: So Nashville has a two game week, and you just saw the second team that they're going to play in FC Cincinnati as as the crew played them uh, just over a week ago at this point, Um, they look improved this year. That's for sure. It'd be Mm -hmm. a lot hard. It'd be pretty hard for Cincinnati to look a lot worse than they have the first two years of their existence. But what are some of the specific ways that you noticed that FCC looks better than what you've seen in the past? And how did they give the crew trouble in holding them to a draw uh, last weekend?
2: I was going to say they looked a little bit more stable defensively, but then the weekend happened and I'm not really sure if that <laughs> is a good thing to say. It was a
1: paradigm shifter.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, which at the same point, that was a super emotional game, the crew versus Cincinnati. It's a rivalry. Um, it was a new stadium, all these things. So there, there might've been a little bit of a, um, emotional hangover from that in some ways for, for this Cincinnati game over the weekend, I would say they, they do look better defensively the The one thing that I struggle with them is they're we're playing a little bit more of a 4-2-3-1 and they're they have Yuya Kubo in one of the holding midfield positions with Harris Madunyan and I think both those players have really good qualities Madunyan is I think better as a single holding midfielder than he is with somebody next to him but again Madunyan has been around the league for a long time he's not as um quick and his ability to uh close space is not what it once was and even that wasn't you know t- high high speed so i think that they um maybe are struggling a little bit because that space in front of their center backs even though they did add jeff cameron and um Va- viasia i think viasia mm-hmm. um who have looked pretty good if if there's not someone helping you right in front and there's constantly some open space in what's zone 14 or really that, that crucial space in front of the two center backs. Well, it's going to be difficult to defend and not um, give up any goals. So I do think that they're still lacking um, a holding midfielder who can help them just calm the game down, especially defensively, but they do have good, better looking attacks. I think Brenner is, you know, hopefully starting to find his way. He's been a big player and has, um, you know, with Lucio Acosta, that's exactly who you want, you know, a little one, two right. punch, have the creativity and then just the goal score at front. So if those two can find a real good combination, which I know Brenner had two goals over the weekend, um, you know, that's what Cincinnati is hopeful for. I think one of their, um, Barial has been a really good player for them, both defensively, but also going forward. Um, creative, can get at players. So the pieces are there. It's just, it's so interesting how they just are not quite, it's not resulting in much.
1: Mm-hmm. So. It, yeah, you mentioned some of the weaknesses of Kubo, and you guys talked about this on MLS Assist within the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. What are some of the reasons, or I guess some of the characteristics that he presents that do make him a fit, at least in Yap stom's eyes, for, for fitting in one of those number six roles? What is it that he brings to that position that, that Stom kind of says, well, this is this has to be my guy here, presumably because they don't have anybody else. But,
2: yeah, but what are some, things, some of the
1: positives there? <laughs> well,
2: that, that, that might be it. Um, I think, and I want to correct myself. I don't know if he actually plays as a six. Defensively, mm-hmm. they do defend in like a 4-4-2. Yeah. So he is one of those two central players. And that's what, if they're in a block type mm-hmm. formation... Um and settled in. That's where he's he is. But I do think because he's so creative and going forward on the dribble, he can eat up space and transition, which is important. Mm-hmm. He just needs to be able to dish the ball when he um before he gets into confrontations. Because if not, he gets himself so pulled out of position that then an opposing team knows that there is a weakness there and they can pull Medunian and out and create the gap that maybe wouldn't have been there if if Kubo isn't a little bit more central. So um He has pace. He has, you know, good tackling ability. I think he's not afraid of confrontation. Um, He can cover ground. I think those are important things for holding midfielders. But um, I don't know if his mind thinks that way quite yet. Like denying space, Mm -hmm. making sure that the ball doesn't go into the front runner, shadowing that channel, whatever it may be. Those are little little things that in the middle of a game can open a game up Quickly for the opposing team,
0: Jordan. Thanks so much for your time today. We'll uh, close with with taking things back full circle to Nashville and Columbus on Wednesday night. If you're Caleb and you're drawing up the game plan, what's your game plan for beating this
2: Nashville team? Ooh, that's a good question. All right, so I'm going to assume you guys are playing in this three four three still, and I think as I mentioned earlier. Columbus is a a possession oriented team. So I do think that some of our best moments against city over the weekend, even though Nagby scored off of a transition moment and he just decided to dribble the whole team. Um, But I think that's one of my keys, right? Get the ball Mm -hmm. to Darlington Nagby and allow him to set the pace. I, I think when you get caught in a transition game, uh, Lovitz has been great in transition and doing a, you know, if it was a four back or now playing more in this midfield role, I've been really impressed with him over the last couple of years. And his inclusion in this Nashville squad has been, I think really key for Gary Smith. So the possession being talking about those wingbacks, can you pull those wingbacks out a little bit to maybe a, a holding midfielder who is dragged outside for the crew use possession to pull one of those players out and then utilize that space in behind um, to stretch the three for Nashville defensively um, from side to side from there, there's going to be gaps, right. Uh, And utilizing the gaps in between the lines. Um, But I think it's all, you know, not a shocker. It's all possession based. It's managing the pace of the game for the crew and um, doing that at home. You guys are going to, um, I wish you guys could come up, but oh, this this too. game in this stadium, I know you guys are getting a new stadium in Nashville next year. But um, the pace of the play is hard not to go fast, fast, fast when it is just rocking in um, lower dot com field. It is so loud, and uh, the atmosphere plays a part in in everything, as you well know. but um, yeah, I think controlling the pace will be important.
0: Well, I'll be doing color commentary for radio in a dark conference room yeah, in South right? in Smashville while you're sitting <laughs> yeah. there basking in that atmosphere. Um, best of luck on the call Wednesday. Thank you so much for your time. And just a, p- a point of uh, personal privilege here. We have a content recommendation section at the end of each show. And several months ago now, I recommended MLS Assist as an absolutely awesome listener. Aww for uh, for people who want to get deeper into the tactical weeds. You guys do such a good job being upbeat and curious rather than critical and cutting and, and I think that the tone and the content is just really good. So, keep up the good wow. work. Thanks for your time.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is fun in the end, right? And um as I mentioned, we're all, we're all humans and sometimes we make mistakes and um but for the most part, this is the game should be fun. So, we love talking about it and I've really enjoyed talking to you guys about um I guess, Eastern Conference things and um, <laughs> Nashville and Columbus. So it should be a good one on Wednesday.
0: Thank you. Thank Jordan. you so much, Jordan. Tim, as I told Jordan in our discussion, I really appreciate the way she goes about her business, too. She's tactically proficient, but she's able to be accessible in her language uh, about those tactics and also very upbeat and interesting, I think, and how she approaches things and, and had some good words of respect about this Nashville team. I think she shares our opinion that this is going to be a, a likely a rather tight match.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And she's she's not just intelligent, as you would expect from the professional career that she's had, but she's thoughtful in the way she goes about it, too. And those don't always happen together. So it's awesome that when she you know, spoke to us about a lot of the things that Columbus can bring and even a couple of the things that Cincinnati can bring. She, she, it's not just I'm smart. Here's what it is. It's she's, she's thinking through exactly how to say um, kind of a, an adequate and, and
0: oftentimes outstanding response to the precise question that we asked. Jordan and Joe you can catch them on MLS assist she also touched on FC Cincinnati obviously Columbus knows Cincinnati better than anybody else that's a Cincinnati team that drew 2-2 with Nashville to start the season and they're a bit of a confusing picture they've allowed more goals than anyone in major league soccer except Toronto. Uh, They just lost 5-4 to Montreal after leading 2-0 and 4-2. If you want to explain the difference between Nashville SC and FC Cincinnati in one sentence, it's that both scored at least four goals last weekend and one still found (laughs) a way to lose. And that, of course, was FCC. But they've played a little better here recently. That loss ended a four-game unbeaten streak. They haven't been shut out in five matches. It's a, a Cincy team that seems to be maybe finding some better version of itself Maybe and uh, the up and down nature of the club could be reminiscent of, of of a Chicago. Certainly, that worked out okay for Nashville, but the result could should look a little bit different on Saturday. I would think. I mean, should it? <laughs> I'm I'm not going to have
1: a whole lot of faith in FC Cincinnati. Um, you know, you mentioned that that unbeaten streak being snapped. The the results came against Chicago, who I think. Uh, the opening of this podcast would demonstrate we believe may may not have been quite as good as the results looked over the past couple of weeks Toronto while well, Toronto was in the midst of, of whatever has happened over to, to Toronto over the past few weeks Houston Dynamo one of the weaker teams in the Western Conference and then a Columbus team still managed to get a draw against them despite a red card um, for basically half of the game so yes Cincinnati has been playing better and they do look like they belong on an MLS field, which was not always the case over their first two years. But it's still a team that a Nashville SC team with the goals that this
0: Nashville SC team has should be able to beat. A little context behind that first Nashville result against Cincinnati: we see the two-two draw. But if if you don't remember, or maybe you, you repress the memory of that first match of the year, two Cincy goals in the first what thirteen minutes of the contest, mm-hmm. one an awkward penalty. Uh, Won a, a, a tremendous play after a Nashville giveaway, and then Nashville just absolutely dominated the match. They still haven't taken more shots in a match than they did in that one. 32 shots, I believe, they took against FC Cincinnati. So a team that Nashville should, Tim, have confidence as they face.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we kind of have talked about it a lot. This is a team that has processed down a lot of the time. They haven't always had results down. And that's that game is kind of a microcosm of the whole thing. They basically dominated the game, but could not finish enough to beat FC Cincinnati. And, you know, we talk about this regularly too. Gary Smith does not want to get beaten twice by the same team in the same way obviously the ways in which FC Cincinnati scored in that game were very fluky. I don't think either of them is replicable. It's just a matter of Nashville SC being able to replicate its own offensive performance, but maybe a little bit better in the finishing department.
0: Moving on to the mailbag, some penetrating questions from you guys that uh, as always got us thinking, and, and hopefully these answers are what you were looking for. Sarah, Asks, did we change the narrative Saturday night of Nashville not scoring enough goals? Do you think Hani wanted to get a start on that before Loba came in? And, of course, that's a question we uh, just flat out almost verbatim asked Jordan as well. But, Tim, your thoughts on that? To be honest, I I really don't think there's a ton that Nashville is going to be able
1: to do to change that narrative to a national audience. This has been a pretty high-flying team so far in 2021, but the storyline when you listen to kind of a more national perspective is still solid defense, park the bus. I think this team could outscore LAFC, which they currently are by a pretty wide margin. That's just kind of the, the stereotypical high flying team that, that is often referenced. But I think even if they did that and won MLS cup, it would be credited to a quote unquote pragmatic approach. But, (laughs) At the same time, if the team does win an MLS Cup, do you think Gary Smith or the players will really care about what the re- no. reputation says? They'll care about what trophy they're holding in their hands.
0: No, and I think where you get crossways is if your own front office doesn't understand what you're about and who you are. And mm-hmm. uh, Mike Jacobs could not be accused of that, certainly. He, right. he appreciates what what is really a team that is still working on hitting its ultimate aspirations, but is certainly hitting its objectives of scoring more goals in, in year two. Absolutely. Andrew Yarbrough, I hear a lot about the difficulties of transitioning to MLS, but what does this mean exactly for a league that isn't perceived to be that competitive relative to others, which I might take issue with the premise of that question too. I think MLS is a top top 10 league, not EPL, but um, is it the style of play? Is it scheduling? Is it rules? What, what makes that adjustment tough? And how might this transition affect Ake Loba's timeline?
1: You, you stepped on, on one of my answers a little bit there. I will not step on yours, but which is the most obvious and, and probably most explanatory one for this. But MLS is a more competitive league than it gets credit for at times. It's not on par with the big five in Europe. It's not on par with League MX. But I think aside from a lot of leagues that have a really strong top two or three, MLS has so much more depth than a lot of those leagues and is a better overall league than a lot of them, I think. So that's one thing to keep in mind. It, it's also a league that's physical without being cheap shot style. And that's something that, I kind of alluded to earlier, Hani Mukhtar had a pretty tough time in 2020 adjusting to that physical level of play, um, the speed, the the willingness to go in and lay a tackle without cheap shotting guys is something that sometimes takes a little bit of an adjustment. Now, of course, uh, for Ake Loba coming from Mexico, where the style of play is, is similar, maybe with a little bit more of the cheap shot stuff, <laughs> um, that particular part of the adjustment does not need to be
0: made. Uh, sorry, by the way, for stepping on your answers. Unintentional, <laughs> oh, no, you're dead. Unintentional, and I don't think it deserves a yellow card, but I'll understand <laughs> if you want to show me one anyway. Yeah. Uh, and the obvious answer, because I'm great with obvious answers, it, it, for the other the adjustment is travel. The longest road trip in English soccer is 352 miles. That's Brighton to Newcastle. That is 30 miles shorter than the distance between Nashville and and Columbus. So when we talk about the broader adjustments players need to make, especially coming over from European leagues, that's a that's a large one. That's a vast one. Not only the distance, but also the mode of travel. Until recently, until for COVID safety protocols, teams were required to charter. Um, that was that was a big adjustment when you're flying coach, you know, mm-hmm. out to LA. It's just a just a massive. Change. Now we should mention that's also not really a concern for Ake Loba. It's a 12-hour drive, for instance, from Monterey to Mexico City, and they're flying that. But again, it's it's a longer it's a longer trip. He's used to some of those longer trips. the The physical style of play you mentioned can be an issue, but but again, I don't think that's going to be much of an issue for for Loba. Language, an adjustment for many players. Um, Ake does not speak fluent English. He does speak Spanish and French, however, and uh, of course, n- a number of Nashville SC players speak Spanish. And we've heard from from various folks inside the club that he's getting along really well with his teammates. So culturally, linguistically, um, I would not expect as big of an adjustment, especially for a player who's played in a couple of different countries now. This is not a Rodrigo Pinheiro situation where language might be more of an adjustment for a guy who's younger, who's playing away from home for the first time. Uh, I think certainly an immense challenge for him, whereas I think Loba's biggest test honestly just be integrating his way into the tactics of this team.
1: Yeah. And you, you I think the language thing is a really good point. And it's worth noting that Mike Jacobs has mentioned, he wants guys who are able to speak the same language, whether that's the same soccer language or the same literal spoken language. And so you see a lot of kind of similar veins of where Nashville SC players come from. You have a lot of guys who are domestically based coming from MLS. You have a lot of guys who are coming from central and South America, but you have a lot of guys who come from West African nations or have West African roots. And that's something you know, and Nunga grew up speaking French. That's probably his native language. I don't know. He, there, there might be another language that he speaks, but that's probably his native language. These guys will be able to communicate with each other on a level. That's a little bit more simple than, than kind of trying to figure out a guy who is is comfortable in. Spanish, but that's maybe not his first language.
0: And when you look at why a team fails on the pitch and you you can look beyond tactics and systems, you can look at language and connection and it's an integral part of chemistry. So uh, definitely something that I would not expect to be a major issue with, uh, with Ake Loba. Uh, the bigger issue for me is just that, you know, he, he's basically coming in in a preseason type of situation. He's he's not played since uh, since May of this past year. Um, Reed Murray says, we've got five strikers right now. Who do you see sticking around next year? Who will be out the door? There are now six strikers with the addition of, of Loba, six forwards. It's a bit early to make that assessment, but I think there are three obvious players with the most to prove for the rest of the season. Dom Baji, can he stay healthy enough to even get a chance to get in and, and make his case? Daniel Rios, who I think we would all agree has so much promise Uh, But now he's got a a tough depth chart he's looking up at. He's got an informed guy like Sapong. He's got Loba coming in. He's been unhealthy and and a little bit Mm -hmm. unfair that he's not gotten his his chance due to to the injury. But uh, can he rise up the depth chart to even get that chance now? You would think at some point this year he will get that chance, just with injuries and the way rotation needs to happen. And then Yonder Cadiz. Can he justify the high salary that he's getting and, and earn a purchase from Benfica after his loan was extended through the end of the year? I think that's a, it's a tough ask right now. Um, he, I think, needs some time to work his way into some games. And uh, as a sub, he's not been at his best this year. And yet I don't know how many games he's going to start here with an informed Sapong and with Loba coming in. Of those, though, I think Baji's in the toughest position just because you have to be able to get on the field to, to prove yourself. He is liked by the staff. He's respected mm-hmm. by his teammates. There's not a one that I mentioned here that is resented or looked down on, you right. know, we don't have a training away from the team situation here, but, but I think to answer the question, I think those are guys that probably have the most to prove.
1: Yeah. Just to really quickly to piggyback on that, the one, the one uh, potential factor to consider with Cotty specifically is he's not on Nashville's books right now. He's technically a lone player. So Nashville has to make an active choice to bring him back, which is kind of a different situation than most of these guys where the contract or e- extending an option is, is, A little bit more simple, a little bit more obvious of a thing to do, but you kind of alluded to to my main answer here too, which is the chemistry is such an important part of it. This, this is a club that is as much about chemistry as it is about production. And I think what I've already said over the course of this podcast indicates that I am not insulting the team's production in the least. So we have to see how the locker room develops with a new piece added. I think all these guys are happy in Nashville, but the reason Ake Loba is in Nashville is because the thing that keeps you happiest is getting regular playing time. And he wasn't getting that with Ryados. And we'll see if a guy like Don Baji, who has, has to work back from injury, if he's not on the field, as soon as he's healthy, does he stay happy? And that's you know just one example but guys want to play that's why they are in this profession and so we'll see if that affects the chemistry as as time goes on And, and there are so many strikers on the step
0: chart josh young has a question that speaks to the other side of player acquisition which is of course selling the player and bringing in players who can gain value and ultimately be sold to profit he asks any opinions on who might be nashville's first outgoing transfer not fun to think of losing any of our big names right now but it's a fact of life and can fuel squad refreshes when they become necessary yeah, I'm going to have one that's not going to make our listeners very happy because I think Walker Zimmerman
1: is the sort of guy who's not off the table here. Um, the monetary money ball type incentive to sell him overseas is low, but I just talked about chemistry, and he's mentioned a desire to play at the highest level, which is naturally in Europe. I don't think he necessarily has his heart of hearts set on that, but if he goes to Mike Jacobs and says... I need to do this. I need to test myself at the highest level. NSC isn't going to want to make him unhappy by forcing him to stick around because when you have that lower chemistry, he's not going to play as well either. So um, my other candidate is is a a young guy like Anunga, who I've talked about a couple of times here is he's developing so quickly that you can see trajectories that continue to the extent where Nashville can sell him overseas and they acquired him on the cheap. So
0: it's something that um, can can provide a pretty good amount of profit for you. Well, and, and MLS central midfielders are in vogue right now. What in the world? The price for Tanner Testman going to to Venezia just just massive. Uh, you know, of course, Weston McKinney at the at the number eight role have to have to speak for that. It's been if you go to Italy right now, <laughs> you know, there there are some um, some barriers that that do not exist with at least one, maybe two of those guys in terms of passports think uh, having mm-hmm. EU passports and all that. Buzio, another guy that. Looks like he may be out the door in Kansas City, again, to Italy and probably to Venice, who I think is going to be the Serie A team that I follow uh, this year, at least out of curiosity, if not support. The one I, that comes to mind for me is Alistair Johnston. Um, mm-hmm. I think anything Nashville sells him for would would be a profit after you you pick him in the draft rather than having to acquire him. So theoretically, a lower barrier to sale. Um, he's young, he's versatile, he's projectable. And when he's getting consistent national team minutes like he is, that's only going to raise his profile and his value. And I think when this front office sees guys going and playing internationally, they're of two minds, right? Don't get hurt, don't get hurt, don't get hurt. <laughs> but also, if they can raise their value, then then that is something that's ultimately advantageous for this club. And the key question, of course, when you are are trying to, to push a guy out the door in a positive way and sell him and consider advancing his career is who can replace him. And that's an area where Nashville has some developing options. It's too early to say whether Dylan Nealis is going to be a suitable replacement for a guy like Johnston. But early returns are solid. He had an assist. He looked solid, I think, uh, for the most part against Chicago in his first start for the club. Started 10 matches in Miami last year. He's got some some growing experience. And then Nick Hines, who is not with the team now. He is down on loan in Austin, but, but getting reps a la Jack Mayer in San Diego, trying to get confidence and get that field time. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people would, would name Randall Leal as the first name on this list of, of sellable guys, but you've got to find the right price for him. You've got to find a little more consistent production, I think. And he's been over there, and he had a, a brush with Belgium that didn't go quite as well, and so that could mm-hmm. be a discouraging factor for some who are trying to project how he could go over there. So I don't think anything is imminent, and we don't have any knowledge to that effect, but I could see Johnston being the first to go. Speaking of Johnston and his teammate, Walker Zimmerman, they were opponents. And as we go outside in, let's talk about that U.S.-Canada match, a 1-0 win for Team USA on Sunday over Canada to win the group. Both teams will advance to the knockouts. Walker Zimmerman started started great in that he captained the U.S. men's national team, leaves with an injury in the early going. We are still, as of recording time, awaiting an update on that. Uh, Tim, obviously not a player that Nashville would... would uh, really could really afford to lose for, for long-term, even as they've, you know, gotten some replacements in, in the short term, those are very much, you know, patchwork solutions to the guy who has driven so much of who Nashville is.
1: And he's been playing incredibly well for the U S which makes it even more frustrating if there's any sort of length beyond, uh, you know, the next game for his injury, because he was showing a passing range that in part, he's not necessarily asked to do a ton in Nashville, but it was, you know, I, I, Participate in the in the Scuffs Podcast Discord chat, which is as deep as you can get, really, on the U.S. Men's National Team. And people were saying you got to get Walker Zimmerman on the field to improve this team's passing from the center back position. Uh, and you know, as a Nashville-oriented person, you think that is not necessarily what Walker Zimmerman is known for. But you know, developing that with the U.S. and, and continuing to develop it, obviously, is something he's been developing his entire career. And bringing it back to Nashville could be a, a pretty impressive thing if that
0: does indeed continue. Meanwhile, Alistair Johnston faced off against his teammate for Canada in that match. Has played every minute, I believe, in Gold Cup so far for the Canadians. Put together a decent performance against the U.S. He was uh, part of the concession 20 seconds in, the earliest goal in U.S. men's national team history. I believe it was his side that that mm-hmm. allowed the entry pass, and then ultimately it was the other, other side of the defense that allowed the goal from Shaq Moore. But um, I like what I've seen from Alistair. I don't know if you have any analysis there, but but I think certainly positive signs for him as he... Uh, is is going to be in the mix for starting minutes during World Cup qualifying for Canada. Yeah, he's been a right-sided center back in a back three for most of this tournament, but he had a bit more free of a
1: role against the U.S. than he's had in previous mm-hmm. two group stage games, at times playing just like a normal right fullback, at times playing like a pure center back. And I actually really like the the tactical approach that John Herdman, Canada's coach, had used, but um you know when you concede 20 seconds in it's hard to use your your tactical approach to claw back into the game especially when the united states kind of was focused on making sure they got that one nothing win more so than playing a, a pure open game
0: it was really similar to nashville's one nothing win over philadelphia union mm-hmm. the, the early goal and then the game plans go out the window and i think you know the us was much shakier along the back line and gave the ball away a lot more than nashville yeah. did but you know they didn't have walker zerman he was he was out Uh, early in that match as well. Speaking of out, Gabriel Heinze, out in Atlanta. Per Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports, players alleged that he rarely spoke to them, did not share the daily schedule in advance, refused to give them their planned days off, and even limited the amount of water they could drink during training. Two noteworthy swings and misses now for Atlanta with his manager position in two years with Frank DeBoer and now with Heinze. Is it time for Atlanta to hire someone with MLS experience or at the very least to prioritize culture over perceived prestige.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting because he was kind of considered Tata light because they're both Mm -hmm. Argentine guys. They both had success um, coaching at at higher levels than MLS as you would consider around the world, at least higher levels. Um, But he, he just never seemed to, to necessarily get the MLS thing, which is why you're obviously asking that question. Do they need somebody who has a better handle on it? Um, you know, you saw guys. They, these were positive stories. You saw Atlanta players talking about how they don't have as many days off as usual, and as has come out in the time since. At the, even at that time, I was like, "Bro, that's that's against the rules. Yeah, <laughs> can't <laughs> do this, that. They're gonna get sued over this, and very well may happen down the road." But yeah, I think I think somebody who does have some experience in this league. I don't think Atlanta would be interested in somebody like Chris Armas, who's obviously been fired from his last two gigs, but um, Domei Tarant, who, who recently coached NYCFC, it just didn't really work out for him there, but he was doing some really nice things with city. That's something that um, Atlanta's style of play as has, as has happened at their peaks would probably be very amenable to the way that Tarant likes to play too. And it would probably be a perfect fit. Somebody that's been mentioned a lot, but that, Otherwise, gosh, you do think, oh, let's go foreign and hire coach. Let's go foreign and hire coach. But you, you see not just Atlanta, you see various MLS teams. You know, San Jose Earthquakes are, are an obvious recent example, making what appears to be that mistake over and over again. Whereas look at what Nashville's done. Hire Gary Smith, a guy who has, yes, an MLS Cup in this league, but just the level of experience that he brought to Music City is something that I think you know we've all experienced firsthand. How much that has been such a part of this team's success.
0: Sure. Compare that to Diego Alonso, you know, hired in mm-hmm. Miami the, the, at the same time. And you could have, all or, of-
1: or Phil Neville,
0: <laughs> Phil Neville in exactly. Miami. both of those. Miami <laughs> Not fans. so
1: long after that. Yeah.
0: Right. And, you know, at some point, I think you have to look and say nine of the last 10 managers who have won MLS cups, are domestic managers. And and I would count Gary Smith as a domestic manager mm-hmm. at this point as well. He, he's been yeah, around absolutely. the block so much. I mean,
1: somebody within same, the I mean, same with, same with Gio Savarese in yeah. Portland. He is not an American guy, but he is an MLS guy, you know?
0: Right. And so we don't, we don't mean nationality at all, but mm-hmm. yeah, experience in the league, I think, um, you know, especially with front offices, but also with, with managers, I think is, is underrated. And I think at this point, if I'm an Atlanta supporter and to be clear, I am not, I'm way more interested in finding somebody who's going to provide a clear path to victory rather than cachet. And I I feel like they've probably reached that breaking point. And now the ultimate test of Carlos Bocanegra and of that whole organization, Darren Eels, can they, can they find somebody who fits that culture? And it will always perhaps sting Nashville SC fans just a little bit that the last result that uh, Gabriel Heinze pulled was that, shock to to draw down so many players yeah ending this uh, segment on a downer but uh you know it it, it (laughs) wet blanket wet wet (laughs) blanket
1: west is what i'm going to call you now
0: west blanket no No. i thought about it but i i couldn't i couldn't stoop that low (laughs) it's not good that's not good yeah we'll see if that makes the final cut uh let's go to the final whistle any any soccer content or otherwise that you... but I mean, you, you're kind of starting to run out of soccer things. You went bluey last week, I think. Yeah, yeah there's
1: no, no soccer at all there. But. No. I, folks, I have finally done it. I have watched the first mm, eight episodes of Ted Lasso. Very very close to finishing it as, as season two approaches. But uh, my, my pure content recommendation is actually... Uh, going back to one of our mailbag questions, uh, shout out to Josh Young for the question on his podcast, Paradise Pod. Find them on Twitter, Paradise Pod 615. Uh, I very, very, very much enjoy that the Nashville SC uh, podcast sphere includes People who are doing a variety of things—they're one of the more kind of fun-loving dudes hanging out in a room watching TV while they record, Uh um, very literally (laughs) at times. But and and, you know maybe at times we're we're on the more serious end of the spectrum. But I do like that there is such a broad spectrum, and I I really appreciate what the Paradise Pod guys do, and I really like the product that they produce.
0: Love it. I was in a conversation on Twitter a few months ago about local content. You know what should I pick up next and yada yada. And somebody was like, "Paradise Pod, but only in small doses." And Josh responded, "Yeah, only take us in small doses." He's (laughs) do a great job. It's just it's such a fun community, and you know there's a place for everybody in this soccer community. We we love it. We even share you with Pharmaceutical Soccer, your your original podcast home there for a bit. My brother hosts the Nashville Soccer Show. Uh, Of course, Speedway's been doing it for a long time, too. Listen to everything. We want to contribute to the soccer conversation. We don't want to steal the soccer conversation from elsewhere. There's a a place for everybody. Uh, I'll go soccer. Um, I'll go down south to the southern hemisphere to Argentina. I am getting into the Argentina Primera Division this year. I've got a buddy who's decided to be a big supporter of um, Huracan. Uh, down in Buenos Aires, so I naturally decided to be the obnoxious friend and choose their uh, eternal rival, San Lorenzo, and uh, started getting <laughs> into it, San Lorenzo, with a disappointing draw in their first match. They're, they're not playing in front of fans now due to COVID issues down in Argentina, but th- the decades of hostility that are there, the, the diverse blue-collar soccer cathedrals, every one of those stadiums looks different. They all look like you designed them in a bizarro City stadium world. And I guess that's maybe what Argentina is. 13 of the clubs in the 2016 premier division are in Buenos Aires too. Mm-hmm. So pretty much every match, almost every match is a Derby. You've got five or six of them every week. It is absolutely fascinating. And, and if you don't want to watch it for pure soccer reasons outside the U.S., um, it's a growing MLS pipeline as well. I and mean, we've talked about Atlanta on this podcast, which is, is you know, Buenos Aires North in a lot of ways. Yeah, you, actually... you,
1: you should have picked up Vélez Sarsfield, uh, most recently coached by, uh, oh, it says here, Gabriel Heinza. Huh, yeah, well, like if yeah.
0: they have an opening anytime soon, maybe he, <laughs> yeah. another he, he another... can head out right on back. <laughs> That's right. Um, there are actually more Argentines in Major League Soccer than there are Canadians. And that's crazy when you have three teams in Canada who have to field a certain number of domestic players and yet still more Argentines at 44 than there are Canadians at 42. So it is a, a massive pipeline right now for Major League Soccer talent. No current Nashville SE players are from Argentina, but uh, would expect that to change at some point just by the law of averages. Uh, that That's the way things are going. But how many Tim Hortons are there in, in Argentina? So. Well, that's true. That's true, and that's the ultimate measure of, of the quality <laughs> of a of a place, at least when it comes to cuisine. Uh, which, yeah, I could go on and on about Tim Hortons uh, having a Canadian wife. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> yeah. actually possibly a reason why there are fewer soccer players from Canada is because because so of those Timbits, baby. <laughs> yeah, those donuts, man. They sit. They sit. Not uh, good. Good strong central defensive midfielder can ingest some of those, but if you're a striker, you got to stay lean. It's got to stay stay fit. <laughs> All right, we're 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 quickly devolved. <laughs> Let's get back to soccer for just a minute. Bold predictions for Nashville and Columbus. I think whoever wins is going to win 1-0. I don't know who that's going to be. It's going to come down to a moment. Uh, Columbus is last in the East in expected goals per 90. They'll be without Jossie Zardis uh nashville obviously you know going on the road where they've they've been shut out two of their three road matches this year i think they will play themselves into some decent form on the road it's a team that's too good not to but they just don't have that sustained road experience just yet so i think it's a it's a one nil tight match where every kick is going to matter and you should definitely listen to it on ninety
1: 94.9 yeah i you said whoever wins is going to win one nil i think uh we won't have to determine which team it is because I don't think there's going to be a winner. I think these teams are going to end up finding a draw. Nashville is playing its best soccer of the year, but is going on the road. Columbus has had its, its lumps and bumps this year, is playing pretty well now, but... Both of these teams have exceptional goalkeepers. Eli Room is, is playing out of his mind this year. Um, Joe Willis is, is probably not playing out of his mind for Nashville, but has has for the most part played a pretty good game with maybe an occasional slip here and there, not always his fault. I do think both teams are going to score. I think this is going to end up as a 1-1 draw. And, that and, you know, for Nashville, getting that first uh, regular-time result against Columbus this year is something that, um, you know, n- being unable to do it last year um, – you, to be the man, you've got to beat the man, I guess. And mm-hmm. and this is a chance to draw the man and hope that when Columbus <laughs> returns the trip, uh, you can get that victory
0: in Nissan Stadium. 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday night, and then Nashville SC and Cincinnati kicking off at the weekend. It will be a 7.30 kickoff at Nissan Stadium. You can catch both of those matches on ESPN 94.9, MyTV30. Thanks to ESPN 94.9 for the highlights today that we heard of Hani Mukhtar's miraculous montage alliteration for the win thanks to moon taxi for the music and please rate review subscribe tell a friend give us each a follow on twitter i am at west bowling tn tim is at club country usa where you can find all the best coverage as well as updates by the way on walker zimmerman's situation um hopefully that injury is is not serious and, and he will keep you posted on that website thanks to the 440 sports network for keeping us on the air and until next time we will talk to you soon